Amen. If you've got your Bibles tonight, we are talking about Chronicles of the King. And this evening we're talking about Jehoshaphat. Uh, Jehoshaphat. Um, in a lot of ways we're going to talk about the victory of prayer, but we're also going to talk about the catastrophe of compromise. And uh, let me just be honest, I have been reading Jehoshaphat all week long behind the scenes of just kind of being, letting him be my devotional life. And... Um, I, I just want to talk about his story a little bit tonight. With, I've got notes and everything, but really I just, all week long, I've been letting him sink in. And you know, uh, I love a good story. I love a good, uh, I love movies. I just like watching movies. You have to be careful what you watch, like everybody, but I like movies. Uh, and I love those movies that are really good stories where the good guy wins. And uh, unfortunately, this is not really going to be one of those uh, and it comes out as real life, and it's really bothered me. There's, story, uh, uh, there's stories that are got some power in them, and, some, and in his story is one of them where there's just going to be some great victories and uh, some awesome things happen, but at the same time, there's going to be some not good things happening. And that, I found myself struggling with this, just being really happy when I read him, but also really depressed because I look at it as real life. And so we're going to look at Jehoshaphat. He is one of the greatest kings to come out of Judah, the southern kingdom. Uh, and tonight, uh, I'm just praying over us and uh, in, in speaking. I hope this word would speak into our church, not just to speak over us tonight, but to speak in us and go through and permeate through us a little bit because uh, our goal should be to lead a God, leave a godly legacy. Not only in the lives of those we minister to, but in the lives of our children and our grandchildren, in the lives of our teenagers and our young adults and those that would come underneath us, uh, those out of our family and those within our family. And uh, I want us to pray about not neglecting our morality for the uh, plurality that we see in the world around us that so easily comes in. And we're going to talk about uh, trying not to find the middle ground. Sometimes we try to find the middle ground, but in doing so, we might lose our footing altogether. And we want to talk about uh, that we can remember to have a heart that is wholly the Lord's. Somebody is always watching us. Amen? Okay, let's talk about Jehoshaphat a little bit. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 43. 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 43. And let's pray. Father, tonight, Holy Spirit, speak only what you have to speak. God, we want to glorify you. Take over, Lord, these moments. God, you know, Lord, uh, uh, I am weak, but God, you are strong. And Father, let these words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's give the setting. In the, in, after Solomon and Solomon's two sons, we have the divided kingdom. Rehoboam and Jeroboam have split the kingdom. Uh, uh, Rehoboam, being Solomon's son, uh, went to the south, and Jeroboam, being Solomon's servant, uh, took over and went to the north. <clears throat> and so we find four generations have now happened. We have a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. Israel has followed in the way of Jeroboam, finding false priests, making false festivals, basically rewriting the word of God, uh, and going into apostasy, uh, following Baal and the Asherah poles and all kinds of bad things, uh, immorality, prostitution, and, and the like. But the southern kingdom, for the most part, has tried to stay to the Lord. While, however, the culture has permeated throughout the land that there are idolatry, uh, there is idolatry on every hill, and the people of God's hearts are not wholly the Lord's. 
And we find in this setting a man named Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is the fourth king of Judah. And his father was named Asa. We've talked about Asa. Asa was a man who brought revival just a few uh, decades before this in the, uh, in the land of Judah. And Asa brought this revival, but yet even in that revival, he had sought not the Lord uh, when he got sick, and he sought the doctors. And so Asa, even, even in his greatness, had some weak moments, and he died while dying a godly man. He died not wholly giving everything to God. And so, but despite all these things, Jehoshaphat is, is 30-something years old. He's come to reign, and something is about this young man. He's following in his father's footsteps and around 872 years B.C., before Christ, and he is bringing revival and building upon the, his father's work. In 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 5, it says, "...the Lord established His kingdom." It says in 1 Kings twenty two forty three that he took great pride in the ways of the Lord and God prospered him. And he even takes it upon himself to continue to cleanse, cleanse the land of idolatry, even taking out things that his dad was not able to do and furthering his dad's work. So in a sense, revival is continuing in Judah. And Jehoshaphat is uh, building up the armies of God and he's is fortifying cities around uh, Judah, uh, putting up a walls uh, between him and uh, Israel. And all of this is in the hands of God and God is putting a fear in the nations around them because his heart is set on the Word of God. And he loves the Word of God. And so, man, that's just awesome, right? That's what we ought to be like, man. When uh, We don't just want revival to be just a one-time, one-moment uh, Sunday night experience, Sunday morning experience, or one-time altar experience, but that it continues to build. And I'm praying that what revival we build here at Sanctuary Family Worship Center on these re- Sunday night prayer meetings, that the next generation continues to build and build and build, that it wouldn't be lost, so they wouldn't have to make up ground, but they could say, hey, I'm standing upon the shoulders of the elders and the people before me, and even the things they weren't able to get rid of in their culture, now we are now taking it to the next level. We're going to do that, amen? That's what we're going to speak over our generation. And so that's what uh, Jehoshaphat is doing. And in the third year of his reign, he begins to send out priests and Levites across the land to instruct people in the Word of God. How awesome is that? He begins to send evangelists out in every corner, knowing that there is idolatry happening on different hilltops and different towns in the remote areas. He begins to train up people and send out people to the far reaches of his country. Man, what we ought to be when we're called to be... uh, the. Bible-believing, spirit-filled believers, that we're training up a generation to send out and say, let's teach these remote areas about the glory of God and His Word so God gives peace. And look in 1 Kings 22, verse 43. And he walked in the way of Asa his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing right in the sight of the Lord. However, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places. And Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. He's got a hard work to do, just like we do today. Even though we can do great things at Sanctuary Family Worship Center, we can begin to send missionaries around the world. We can train up our young people. We know that it's not just going to be poof, magically delicious, you know, right off the bat. There is a work to be done, and it might take some time, right? And so as he's doing this revival, even still, people have not fully taken in this. And it says, as he began to prosper he decided to make treaty peace with Israel. Now, this is the country 
that he's been at war with for four generations. Bloods have, uh, blood has been shed. Battles have continually happened between the north and the south. So we've got revival, but then we've got, tonight we're going to talk about some compromising alliances. Jehoshaphat's life is going to be balanced in this way. We're going to see revival and reformation, but at the same time, three, uh, sorry, four major alliances. They will always come back to bite him a little bit. Okay, number of the first alliance is this. Verse, uh, 1 Kings 22, verse 44, Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. So for three generations they've been fighting. He's fortified himself against Israel, but now he decides to make peace with them. One of my uh, campus pastors uh, in, when I was in ministry always used to say, the enemy of God's best is something good. Meaning there are a lot of good things out there that you can choose to do, but are they God's best for your life? Have you taken it to prayer? It might be good to go by that truck. It might be good to do those things. It might be good to do that. But is it God's best for your life? There's a lot of good things you can do. There's a lot of good people you could be around. But is it God's best? Okay. And so this is one of those moments. Seeing them prosper, he says, okay, <clears throat> I want to bring unity to the north and the south again. Let's, let's, how can I do this? And one of the number one ways you do that in the ancient world is marry off one of your children to their children. So the first compromise he makes is, number one, he lets Ahab's daughter, Athaliah, marry his son. And this alliance is formed, and so he gives his son to marry Ahab's daughter. Now, if you know anything about Ahab, he's one of the most evil kings to ever come out of northern Israel. Uh, and he is wicked, and his wife is doubly wicked. And Jezebel, you've heard the name Jezebel before. And so this is, now his in-laws are who? Some really bad people. And I don't know if you've got bad in-laws, and we're not going to have a raising of hands on that because we want you all to get through Christmas fine, right? And so his in-laws are now... Ahab and Jezebel. Think about that party, you know, that dinner, dinner on the ground at your house. And so he does this without praying first. But it sounds good. Here's his goals. Let's reunite Israel again. Let's promote peace for the first time. Let's end all the bloodshed. And by joining these two countries back together again, all the nations around us won't think about messing with us because together we're more powerful than apart. Doesn't that sound good? There's a lot of enticing things in the world today that sound very good. There's a lot of enticing things that you should join with this. You should be a part of this. You should do this like everybody else in the world does. You should uh, hang around with these people. You should do, be a part of these profit schemes. You should be a part of this. You should do this. And all about it, it might look good, sound good, but is it God's best? And have we taken it to prayer? And so now uh, he's compromised his religious position for political and monetary gain. And it might have seemed prosperous, it might have seemed peaceful, but it was not given in prayer. You know, you can never add on to God's blessing. You know that? God had been blessing him, God had been prospering him, and now he took it on himself. Let's take this prosperity a step further. Let's take this peace a step further. But it wasn't in God's plan. All right. So he's number one, his marriage alliance. We're going to talk about how that's come back up, come back up, and comes back up in a minute. All right. So compromising alliance. Number one, he married off his son. Number two, look in First Kings chapter twenty-two, verse four. So what do you do? Hey, you're bound to them. Guess what? You're res- they're, you're you're responsible to them, and now they're responsible to you. And so in First Kings chapter twenty-two, verse two, in the third year of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, uh, he came down to the king of Israel. 
And the king of Israel, Ahab, said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us, and we're still doing nothing to take it out of the hand of the king of Aram? And he said, uh, and he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Now, here's this revivalist guy. What in the world is he thinking? He's just put all this out of his culture. He's put all this out of his home. He's put uh, the word of God on the table for his family to see and read. He's taught the Levites to go out to the far distant uh, corners of the earth. But yet he's invited Ahab and Jezebel to sit and eat with him. And he's just said, I am as you are. We are together. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. Let's be one. Does that make any sense at all? This has bothered me all week long. I'm thinking, I'm like, I want to go back in time. Jehoshaphat, what are you doing? You're like, how do you, how do you miss this? But you know, sometimes when things are going really good, we just stop thinking a little bit. We let our guard down. God's blessed. God's prospered. I'm doing good. Uh, I'm all about Jesus. But then we make these little compromises and we don't recognize how big of a deal it is until later on. And no doubt his heart was, and 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 being on the one of the head of the ministerial alliance, even here in LaSalle Parish, Louisiana, you know, I am all for unity. I am all for churches coming together across denominational lines. My heart, I hope you know that, my heart number one here in this place, in this state, is for the unity of God's church. That is the number one thing that I think about all week long at night, wake up. I mean, those are the things I'm praying for. And here I can kind of sense his heart is for that, like, we need to be one again. We're brothers. We're related. This is my cousin across enemy lines here. How can we not be together? But yet there's something different about a man and woman of God and a person who doesn't have God. There's some things that we cannot be united on. And so he comes together and says, let's go to war. And so he says, yes, I'll help you. We didn't pray about that either. But here's the saving thing. Joseph says, hey, okay, before we do that, let's call uh, out and let's just see what the Lord says. I've already said yes to you. Don't we have that where that works? We say yes to something and then we ask God, should we do this or not? I've already kind of bought the car, but I didn't really pray about it. But hey, now that it's having trouble, let me pray about it. Right. And that's kind of how we do things sometimes. And so he says, okay, I'll go with you. I am as you are, blah, blah, blah. And he says, okay, let's call for a prophet. Ahab says, okay, I got some prophets. I got 400, by the way. 400 prophets of Baal come out, and they begin to prophesy and do their little dances and cut themselves and all this kind of stuff. And they all prophesy, hey, let's do this. And Jehoshaphat knows enough about God because he's a man of revival. And he says, wait, 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 let's see if there's a prophet of God first. Can we ask a prophet of God? So he knows enough to know these guys aren't legit. These aren't real Christians. Let's just put it that way. That's how we would think of it today. Uh, I know that this guy prays, and I know that this guy really prays. You know what I'm talking about? There are people we just know. This guy is not it. And he calls, and they call up one prophet. Uh, and uh, They call him out, <clears throat> and they bring him forward. And Micaiah is his name. Uh, and he begins to prophesy, and his prophecy is not good. It prophesies Ahab's death. Uh, But nevertheless, they go out in battle. Ahab goes out under disguise, and Jehoshaphat is there. Uh, And Ahab ends up dying by a random arrow, and even after disguising himself, and Jehoshaphat himself, man, he narrowly escapes death, except that he cried out to God, and he gets out of that place alive. You know, these times like this, uh, it's kind of like 
God, we have a good heart for doing these things, but then when we get into them, we find out, Lord, what in the world was I thinking? It's kind of like robbing a bank to give to the needy. I have good intentions, but the method to get there is a little bit off. You know what I'm saying? Or what we used to talk, we used to get on in the early 90s, we used to really get on to evangelistic dating, like you would go date a person to get them saved. That never works out, you know. You don't do that, by the way. Um, just saying. And so he, he's like, I got a good goal in mind, and I want peace and prosperity, but this is not the way I should have got there. And so he realizes that. He goes home. A prophet comes and rebukes him, and he says, Jehoshaphat, you are totally off in doing this. Uh, you, it actually says this. He says, you help the wicked, and you love those who hated the Lord. Ouch. You hated, uh, you helped the wicked, and you love those who hated the Lord. But the prophet says, uh, the prophet Jehu says, but nevertheless, there is good in you, and you have set your heart to seek the Lord your God. And so the God begins to bless Jehoshaphat. And so I struggle with this dichotomy, and I think even in myself, uh, you know, it's like there's parts of us, like Paul says in Romans, he's like, there's a part of me that really wants to go after God, and there's a part of me that knows what I ought to do, but doesn't do it. And I find this real world uh, scenario in Jehoshaphat. He's like, man, I'm a revivalist. Come back to the Bible. But at the same time, I've done some things I'm really not proud of that really haven't worked out for me. And so when he gets rebuked, man, Jehoshaphat goes back to God. He goes back to prayer. And the Bible says that he uh, turns back to the Lord and sets his heart to seek the Lord. And look in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 4. 2 Chronicles 19, verse 4 says, He went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim, uh, that's up at the top for Israel, and he brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. You know, sometimes there's nothing like God slapping us in the face and bringing us to our knees to get us back on track. And he begins to say, okay, sorry, God, I got off of that. I shouldn't have done that, but hey, uh, here I am. I'm sorry. And he begins to say, Lord, I'm going to get back to your work. And so uh, he... He has this great revival. He has a couple compromises that are catastrophic, really. But then he goes back to Reformation. And the Bible says this, and I'm just going to paraphrase, that what he does in this season of his life, and to continue to build upon, he sets out judges, and he sets out Levites among the people. And these judges he calls from the priesthood, and he aligns the priesthood with the judicial system, and he does a complete political reform across the entire country. And across of Judah, he puts out these judges, and he tells them, he tells them, uh, let me just read what he says. He tells these judges, he says, Do not judge for man, but for the Lord. Let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Our God will not have part in unrighteousness. If our judges today had those words spoken unto them, this would be a completely different country, wouldn't it? And he says, you should judge in the fear of the Lord and have no part of, un, of, of wickedness. And he calls out Levites and he puts them in Judah, the capital city. And he tells them about the same thing. And he puts elders from the tribes. He puts them in the Jerusalem. He says, I'm going to instruct you in the fear of the Lord. Be faithful and give your heart wholly to the Lord. And he says, I want you to warn the people so they may not be guilty before the Lord. Second Chronicles 19.10. And so he puts chiefs and priests over all these judges and just think about what this would do to a nation, what it would do to our nation today. If we set uh, people of generations who had been there and done that, uh, uh, people with moral codes and conduct, men and women of God, and said, teach the people the fear of the Lord. Teach the people to wholly love the Lord and seek the Lord and do justice and walk humbly with the Lord our God, like what we'd say in Micah. And I think about this for us today as 
people who have children, what are we doing, whether we're grandma, grandpa, or you're like me, you've got two little ones at home, or maybe you, you have extended kids or uh, nephews and nieces, how am I teaching my children to wholly seek the Lord? How am I teaching the next generation? Because what was important to him, he said, there needs to be a nationwide reform. He sees the, the surrounding countries coming in, the idolatry that's still permeating for generations. And one of the things he sets up, he's saying, we've got to have elders. We've got to have father figures. And man, do I hear that a lot in, from our youth. You know how many of our youth that attend our church on a given week, uh, over half of them do not have parents in church. Over half of them do not have parents in church. It is up to us, church. It is up to us to father the people. We even had an evangelist come a few weeks ago, just spoke prophetically on the father's heart of, uh, father heart of God. I pray over our kids workers, our youth workers, that we would, and he begins to elect more people from the congregation to go and train and teach the people the word of God. That we'd have small groups. You should be in a part of a small group. We should have our kids in kids' church every time the doors are open. We should have our kids in youth every time the doors are open. We should have uh, no lack of workers in our kids' department, in our youth department. Because we want, if, you, if we want to affect cultural change in a generation that is dying and going to hell, we better reach our kids. We better reach our kids. And it is our responsibility, church, to put an emphasis on children's ministry, on youth ministry, on ministry to young parents. Because if we do not, we are certain to lose a generation for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Oh, that was weak. Amen? Amen. Amen. How do we instruct our children? What am I teaching my children when I'm at home? Do we teach our children the Word of God? Are we involved as a community, uh, as a family of faith? Are we teaching our children? I know that we are. We've got a great kids in uh, ministry and youth ministry. But this great reformation, but here's, let me get into the story. And on one day now, the Moabites have formed, they formed this powerful alliance. The surrounding nations begin to gather and say, all right, it's enough. We've had enough about these, these godly people. And they come against Judah and they get filled with fear. Jehoshaphat and the people now, oh my gosh, man, everybody is against us. They take to prayer. They are so afraid because this huge army is coming. And so they begin to pray, and Joseph just cries out to God, says, God, will you not judge him? We've got no power against this great people that's coming against us. And I can think about the words that his father had received in prophecy uh, years ago in 2 Chronicles 69. It said, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect, holy towards him. God is interested in looking for people who say, God, I am weak, but you are strong. Lord, I am repenting of my sins. God, you are holy. And as we begin to cry out to God and say, God, we cannot win this battle that is ahead of us, that you are Lord and we are not and we need you, God begins to answer that prayer. And look in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 14. Now note this too. Jehoshaphat knows enough. There's enough God in him that when he has this alliance with Israel, he doesn't turn to Israel. Israel has been turning to him for help, but notice that Jehoshaphat doesn't turn to man for help. Praise the Lord. He turns immediately to God, and that should be our first call. Amen? When we have a problem, my first telephone call better be to God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 14, he says, In the midst of the assembly, here's the good part. In the midst of the assembly, 
They're crying out to God. Jehoshaphat stands before. There's women and children. They're all crying. They're thinking we're about to die. They see their, their king cry out to God in the middle of the stadium, let's just say, in front of the porch of the house of God. He begins to cry out to God, Lord, you're powerful. We're weak. Lord, you judge them. You have to do this. And we know that, Lord, you have to be for us. And immediately... In the midst of the assembly, I love this verse, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jehiel, the son of Mataniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. Now that is a reputation there. This guy was one of the elite worshipers in the house of God. He come from a long line of spirit-filled men and women of God from the sons of Asaph, which if you look in Psalms, you'll notice some of your Psalms have written by the sons of Asaph, okay? Uh, and a- this family was there to lead the congregation in worship, and not just normal worship, spirit-filled worship, which is something we all need, amen? And so the spirit-filled young man, all of a sudden he's there, the spirit comes upon him prophetically, uh, and uh, man, thank God for a spirit-filled worship team, And he says, listen, all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Listen, everybody be quiet. Thus saith the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. That's a verse to put on your wall right there, isn't it? Man, we think we're about to die. Man, this is all coming against us. But Lord, we remember what you said in generations from our dad to now that the Spirit of the Lord is for those whose hearts are for him. And he is looking for such a people. And the worshipers are arising. And in the midst of the assembly, we allow the Holy Spirit to come upon us. And when we can't, we are backs against the wall. And we admit, God, I am powerless. And I can't beat this addiction. I can't beat this drug. God, I can't fix my marriage. God, I can't fix my bank account. Lord, I can't break this sin issue in my life. Lord, we just say, God, to be the glory, you're the only one. Amen? And the Spirit of God comes and says, that's okay. It's my battle, not yours anyway. Amen. And he says, okay, here's what you're going to do. Tomorrow morning, you're going to go meet these guys. Because those guys are bad to the bone now. They're not messing around. These are people that, like, put people on stakes and stuff. I mean, this is not, this is not just play war. This is like, we're going to kill you all and your children kind of scenario, and we're just going to desecrate your whole country, all right? And they're just, okay, here we go. We go out to where he says, now you're going to go meet them, and no, the battle is the Lord's, not yours. They go out in the morning, and it actually says in verse, look in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20, it says, they arose early, probably, I don't know about you, but I don't know how much sleep I'd be getting, thinking, it's like, okay, I know this Young guy prophesied this, but in the morning, I'm going to have the bags packed. We're going to get ready to get the cat and the dog. We're going to have to have some action plan here, right? They arose early in the morning, and they went out to the wilderness, uh, and they went out, and Jehoshaphat stood in front of them, and he says, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. That is his word. And we consulted with the people. He appointed, here's what he does. He appointed those who sang to the Lord and to those who praised him in holy attire. Stop right there. How are we praising God? Are we praising God in our own wardrobe, in our own works, in our own efforts, in our own deeds? 
But they were praising him, not just to sing some songs. They were praising to the Lord. But they were praising him in what we would call, I would call for our Christians today, robes of righteousness. We're going to say spiritual things that don't come from us, but it comes from God. It comes from the position that we have in Jesus Christ, that he has cleansed us of all sin. We have freely given, uh, he's freely given us all things by his grace, and it's by the blood of Jesus Christ I'm saved. So now I stand before God as one of his holy ones, as if his son, Right? And so we stand there, not in our own efforts, not in our own plans, not our own agenda. And they, he says, I'm going to establish the worshipers first. And they go out before the army. This is, this is think about Jericho today. And this is the words they should have known. There's these traditions they should have heard. And pre- perhaps maybe some of the young people had just heard this at Sunday school the week before because they were teaching the children all these things. And so they go out and, and uh, the worshipers are there. And they begin singing and praising And because of that, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir and those who came against Judah, and they were rerouted. And he goes on to say that in that morning they came out that there was so much confusion that the enemy actually began to kill themselves. And two camps fought, and then those who remained fought the other camp. And that when Judah went out there and saw the battlefield, that there were corpses lying everywhere. So much plunder, it took them three days to pick it all up. So much plunder that they renamed the place that was going to be a battle of slaughter, a valley of slaughter. They named it Valley of Blessing. That's what God can do for those who put Him first. Amen? Amen. I believe that there are things that we come to in our life, and maybe we go through a trial of despair. Maybe we have a bad history. Maybe it's, we've got a bad family history. We've gone through different things in our life. We've, we've made mistakes like Jehoshaphat. We've made compromises. But then we come to a place, and we find out, God, I totally just need you. Lord, I can't fix, with enough counseling, I couldn't fix this. With enough money, I couldn't fix this. With enough uh, reputation or fame or fortune, God, I couldn't fix this. Lord, I have to have Jesus Christ as the center of my life. Lord, I have to have your word in my heart. God, I have to have you go through this battle with me, whatever it may be. And they began to worship him in holy attire first. And before they ever uh, fought any battle or any sword, before they put their hands to anything, they began it with worship unto God, saying, God, the battle is not ours, it's yours. That's what it takes to break down enemy strongholds and have God completely decimate the walls that we come against. It's a people who say, God, I'm powerless. That's actually the number one thing we talk about at Celebrate Recovery over there. Number one, the first lesson is we are powerless over our tendency to do the wrong thing. We're powerless over our behavior, over our sin issues. We're, we're powerless over sin. In myself, I cannot stop sinning. We try. We try to stop. We try. We, a lot of times, we, I think we mess that up sometimes. Sometimes I'm avoiding sin by my own power rather than God actually breaking the chains in my life, I'm actually just trying harder. And that'll work for a season. But then when the enemy keeps coming back, and I get weaker and weaker, and I'm not in my prayer, and I'm not in church, and I'm not around holy people, I'm not doing all, and da 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 then temptation comes and it's out the door, it's out the window. Because why? I've really not let God break it. I've been doing it on my own. And that's why this is so important, that they go out in total humility, total expectation of defeat, and they stand before that giant of an army and say, God, this is all on you. This is all on you. And they went by faith. Don't get me wrong. You can't just sit back and say, all right, God, I'm not even going to try anymore. No, no, no. 
They went out and they worshipped. They went out and they prayed. They actually got their stuff and went to the battlefield ready to fight, but they waited on the Lord. And so how does God change our situations to a valley of blessing? And Isaiah chapter 7 verse 9 says, If you do uh, not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And may we stand firm in our faith, and like Jericho, we can lift that praise on the shoulders of faith. It's that praise on top of faith that brought the victory. Now, I would love to end the story right here and let us all go home, because that is a great note to end on, right? I mean, I just want that to be my life. I mean, break the battle down. I mean, just come on, God. Just do some revival. Cleanse the thing. Lord, I messed up before, but hey, let's end on a high note. Sorry. <laughs> He made two compromises. Let me give you two more. Nevertheless, after great victories, just like us all, man, we have great victories, but we can have some great defeats. Man, things don't go like that. And the number third uh, alliance he made was a monetary alliance. So he had a marriage alliance, he had a military alliance, and he had a monetary alliance. Number three, Ahab has died. Ahab's son comes to power. Wicked, wicked kid. Uh, uh, and Jehoshaphat makes an alliance with his son, uh, 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 Ahaziah, and while rejecting, they, they kind of get this barter to build some ships, and, and one way he goes with them, and they build the ships together, and they're going to go out and make some profit uh, off of this kingdom, but he doesn't go all the way with him. He says, I'll do this with you, but your servants can't be on the ship, uh, but yet they go out, and all of a sudden, the seas come out, and God destroys these ships because he did not pray about it, and a prophet comes and rebukes him again for it. And I find out that's really how we go and do things sometimes. It's like, I'm going to watch this TV show, and it's not all that bad, but I definitely won't watch this one. And we begin to determine uh, with our own knowledge and our own power what we begin to do. I'll, I'll hang out with this person, and I'll say these words around them, but I won't fully give in to this. And we begin to kind of make these comments. And that's how we navigate life. Let's just be honest. That's how I do. We try to determine... Here's what I'll do to this degree, and I'll kind of be like this, but I really won't go this way, all right? Uh, And he begins to make this agreement with Ahab's son and this worldly man and this evil man, but I'm not going to do a real agreement, a whole-on agreement. But God says, I detest what you did. You were aligned with evil, and he rebukes him. And he goes on, and that guy dies, and we'll read about him later. Ahab's other son comes to power. And here we go, repeat of history, get another military alliance. Moab is upset, and they come against Israel now. So the same people we just saw defeated, right? Come back years later in the 18th year of his reign. And they come out, and they come to Israel. And what does Israel do? Israel don't have God to call on. And, you know, sometimes those people that are going through about, you're trying to fight your own battle. You're trying to give it to the Lord. And that person who really hasn't ever trusted in God before, who do they call? They don't call God. They call you, right? Hey, it's 3 in the morning. Hey, I need your help. you got to pray for me, Right? Uh, I really, really messed up this time. You got to pray for me. And that's how this is going on. Because somebody knows that you pray, right? Somebody knows if you're a man or woman of God, they're going to call out to you. When they don't know how to call God for yourself, themselves, they're going to call you. They call Jehoshaphat. And so his son, uh, Ahab's other son, Jehoram, king of Israel, they says the, it, the Mo, uh, Mo, Moabites are now coming against us now. And uh, they're really, really mad. And so he goes out calls Jehoshaphat, and guess what Jehoshaphat says? Mm. He says, you're going to go help me fight these guys? You guys are successful on your own, right? He says, I will go up. I am as you are. 
My people are as your people. My horses are as your horses. Ouch. Man, dude, what are you doing? And that's the same thing he said to his father, Ahab. Didn't you learn? Sometimes I look at myself and you just want to slap yourself in the face and say, didn't you learn? You've already done this before. You've been here. You've done that. Why are you repeating history in your life? But nevertheless, he goes out, same thing again. All the Baal prophets come out, and Jehoshaphat thinking, deja vu. Can we just call? I've already said yes to you. I shouldn't have. I've already said yes to you. Uh, is there a prophet of God among these prophets? And they say, well, there's this dude named Elisha. Maybe you've heard of him. Actually, yes, Elisha, I know. He's a pretty popular guy. He had a really good father figure in the faith, you know. Uh, and we know this guy. He's done a lot of crazy, awesome things. Uh, and so he says, now, I don't know what's going on here. I don't even really want to talk to the king of Israel. And if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat here, I wouldn't even look at you. <laughs> Man, that dude is bold, right? He comes up to the king of Israel and says, if this other dude wasn't even here, I wouldn't even been talking to you. I don't even know why I'm here at all. And so he says, nevertheless, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. <clears throat> and I know your guys are thirsty. We're going to pray. And the water is going to come across the whole land. Water's going to come across the whole land. You guys are going to drink some water, and God's going to be with you. And it's only because of Jehoshaphat, because he's a good dude, that I'm here. Water comes down, fills the whole land, and the Moabites uh, come out. And seeing all this water from the other side of the sun, it looks like blood. And they think, oh my gosh, they've slaughtered themselves. Let's go collect the spoil. So they unknowingly go through that water, walk up on the Israelite camp, and Israel just slaughters them. Because they come up unexpected, thinking the victory is already won. And God routes the enemy, and they get down, and they begin to fight these guys. And they push him back against the wall. And the king of uh, Moab takes his son, because he was a pagan evil man, takes his son to the wall and sacrifices his only son. And seeing that horror, and seeing the evil that Jehoshaphat, seeing what he had entered into, said, I can have no more part of this. And he left and went back home. And I look at this guy's life and I think, man, God, I don't, I want to end well. I want to finish well. I want to be a man full of faith that makes these, that, that these compromises don't keep coming back up in our lives again. And what does it take to be a man or woman of God that says, God, I'm going to stand the line. Lord, I'm going to uh, uh, do my part. I'm going to be wholly yours. I'm going to commit to prayer. God, I'm not going to let my guard down. Is there any compromise in my life? Lord, is it the TV that I'm watching? Is it my lack of prayer time? God, is it the things that I let my children hear or see that we're a part of? God, do I settle for a second-rate Christianity? Lord, will I have watered down your truth? But God, I want to be radical. I want to be zealous. Lord, I want to do the things they did back in the old. And Lord, this, this Bible, I'm so tired of reading the book of Acts over and over again, but I never see it acted out in the American church. I never see the faith rise up, the signs and wonders follow those who believe. We've so sacrificed some great things for the sake of compromise and comfort in the American church. Amen. Ooh, I'm preaching now. Yes. I say, God, I'm tired of compromise. Because it only leads to catastrophe in the house of God. And while I want unity and diversity and all of these things, it better be the only unity I have is with people of like faith that say, I want God more today than yesterday and even more again tomorrow. That there are things that we've got to learn how to separate ourselves from because of this reason. 
Jehoshaphat goes down in history as one of the greatest kings in Judah, despite his little compromises. But here's where it came up. His son was born, raised, married Ahab's daughter. And when Jehoshaphat died, this is what's sad about his whole story. Jehoshaphat dies. His son comes to power, immediately kills all of his brothers, institutes nationwide apostasy, undoes all that his dad had done, and for eight years reigns in wickedness and evil and idolatry because he had a wicked wife, and he followed the ways of Ahab, and he corrupted all of Judah to the point that the Levites who were with Jehoshaphat began to rebel in cities. Even the nations lost respect for Judah, so much to the degree that God comes up and curses his son to the point that, let me, kids are in the room, but his bowels come out of his own mouth. He dies a horrible death. Uh, and they don't even give him a king's burial because he was hated to that degree. Why? Because his dad allowed him to compromise. Great victories in his dad's life, great revival in his dad's life, great word of God in his dad's life, great justice and establishing justice. But it was the little compromises his dad, a great man of God, had along the way that he saw at home. And sometimes I wonder if what we promote on a Sunday morning, why it's good, and what we've, we've come out of addiction, we've restored our marriages, we've done great and mighty things, but when our children have seen some compromises, they say, well, we can watch these movies at home. Mom and dad really talk this way. They argue this way. They do this. We allow this way. I can wear these things as a teenager. I'm on Instagram, Snapchat. Mom and dad don't know that I'm on pornography most of the time in my bedroom when I'm alone at night. We allow all these things into our house. We allow the music and we allow the things of the world, the internet and all this entertainment to just inundate our children, inundate our children, come into the house of God. And while we can promote great victories and battles and worship and spirit and in truth, and yet it's those little things sometimes. We align with this. We compromise with that. And yeah, our life can, we can, we can, we want to mark on those high points. Man, I want to, I wanted Josephette so bad to end. Man, on that mark of going out to the battle. But this is real life, y'all. This is real life. We're all men and women who we can learn from. And that small sin, I was thinking about it this way, and I'm going to close with this. I feel like it's like that little alligator. It's like a little alligator you buy as a pet, you know, that little thing you could buy as a pet, and it's cool for a little while because it's this small, it's a little cage. Then after a while, you start feeding it, and it gets older and it's older, and finally you put it in a pond, and you think, oh, it's a little cute little alligator. And you put it in the pond outside, and then 10 years goes by, and all of a sudden you're walking by, and it ain't so small anymore, and it's hiding underneath the bubbles. You know, I mean, this is a real danger, and it's kind of like that. We just kind of accept little things for a while. But will our children be zealous for the Lord when we're gone? Uh, I want us to do what Jehoshaphat began with. And God, I want the revival of a past generation. And I want to know it and realize it. And I want to build upon it. And I want my children to build upon it. And their children to build upon it. And Lord, may I be the real deal in this building and the real deal in my home and the real deal at work, and the real deal on the street, and say, God, I want to be about your word. I want to be about your spirit. And if there's any battles in my life, I want my children to know the battle is not ours, it's God's. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me tonight?